Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. How about one more prospect promotion? Can we get it? I think so. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, September 14th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and the Welsh. Today on the show, the Orioles are promoting one of their top prospects, but which one is it? Max Scherzer is out for the year. We'll talk about that. What's the latest on the National League Cy Young race? It's uh, heating up here. Blake Snell, another great start. Spencer Strider striking everybody out. Justin Steele still has those awesome numbers. We'll talk about all that as well. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Do you guys remember what happened last time this exact trio was together here on the podcast? Yes. Mm, no. I do remember. I found out what Chris Welsh's real last name is. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> that, that did happen later off the air. Um, what happened? Now but, I'm curious. But no, that was when Shohei, that was when Chris Towers hopped in to break oh. the news to us that <laughs> Shohei Otani had a torn ACL, or UCL, excuse me, and then crash the podcast after that well, hold on to your butt something's gonna happen well so all i'm gonna say is oh no oh uh, it i <laughs> i actually came across it like three days ago and uh sometimes i'll like go down my own timeline to like copy something for a tweet or whatever and like i just came across it and then i get into those instances where i have to like re-watch them and then listen to the audio side of it it was an all-time moment. I was a part of it, so like in, in my mind, it was like the the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened here. There was a couple great ones you guys have had. Not not you're doing a season reflection or anything like that, but it had to be a top three <laughs> moment of this podcast in 2023. So had to be. Keep your head on a swivel here. Uh, make sure you don't send out the link to Chris Towers because I don't need him hopping in here and then shutting the podcast down or anything like that. But I'm gonna get a custom hat, an oh no custom hat. You know what? That's gonna happen. I'm getting it. Oh, I'm gonna get you and me one, Frank. And you know what? I'm gonna get three. Frank, you can bring it back to Scott. And when you come out here for first pitch, we're gonna just have oh no hats that we can wear. All right, yes. so let's get things started with this latest prospect promotion. The Orioles are promoting one of their top prospects. This time, it's Heston Kierstad. If you're wondering how to spell that, don't worry. I'll help you out. <laughs> K-J-E-R-S-T-A-D. That's how you... A-D. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I'm like trying to help people out here, and I'm just doing a bad job. Off to a good start. <laughs> no, I, I was going to do the same thing because I, I've noticed this. I've, I've been listening to the Fantasy Football Today podcast recently with, with uh, fantasy football season starting up and me not really having my finger on the pulse there. And, you know, they, 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 they spout off all these names, and I have no idea how to spell them. So I just, like, try to plug in the name phonetically when I'm seeing if the player's available, and it's like, yeah, it's not coming up. No, he has Heston Kierstad, not to be confused with Keston Hirstad, which is somebody who doesn't exist. Again, <laughs> you're in Keston Keston, also. Er, No, now I've confused myself. Heston <laughs> Kierstad, K J E R S T A D. 
That is how you spell it. And why is he being promoted? Well, Ryan Mountcastle exited on Wednesday due to left shoulder discomfort. He's day-to-day. Sounds like it could be a little bit worse than that if they're uh, willing to call up one of their top prospects. He's 24 years old, former second overall pick back in 2020. He dealt with uh, about with myocarditis, I think following uh, COVID that he was dealing with. And then I believe he had a severe hamstring strain the following year. So it took him a while to get going, but once he did... He really got going this year in the minors, 303 batting average, 21 homers, a 904 OPS. Welsh, we saw him out at uh, first pitch Arizona last year in the Arizona Fall League. Big left-handed batter, big leg kick. There's big power here as well. Welsh, what are you expecting from Heston Kierstead? Yeah, I, I loved Heston Kierstead when we saw him in the AFL. He hit an inside-the-park homer. He actually was part of this crazy game where him and Cal Conley teammates hit inside the park home runs within three innings of each other. And it's like one of the you know few games in any type of baseball that there had ever been that. And he actually did it again this year inside the park, another inside the parker. He's got some kind of sneaky power, huge, huge, big bat speed pull power that he's got. There's a big leg kick in there, which makes him a little bit susceptible to strikeouts, which was kind of a problem in general. But one thing that he ended up seeing kind of across his minor league career, which has been you know very short from the beginning of last year through AFL to this year, was he's cut down those strikeout rates. 15% in AA, uh, around 20% in AAA. Here's another one. Ground ball rate dropped every single level he has played at. The guy likes to lift the ball. He's a sneaky athlete. And he's hit for average. That was the big key. He was the MVP of the AFL last year. Hit 310 in AA this year. Hit 299 in AAA. I mean, this is, even though he profiles as this, you know, big bat with, even though it's not showing on paper, there are some strikeout potential issues because of that leg kick. I mean, this is like a number four hitter that has just got just pure, you know, hit skills. I love, I love him. Like we can go and we can look at all the stuff. Like I was thinking about this beforehand. It's so funny where, you know, sometimes I just, I'll just want to just like off the cuff talk about like, Hey, listen, this guy's got incredible bat speed, makes really good decisions, but sometimes that doesn't quantify. So you've got to go in and we got to be like, well, you know, he had a 42 plus percent pull rate at both levels, which shows he's cognizant of that. The ground ball rate drops. Like these are things to quantify with, which something you can just see with your eyes, which you saw, which I saw was this guy's MVP. He has light tower power and he can actually surprisingly run would not be shocked in the major leagues long-term. If this is like a 30 home run hitter, who's 10 to 15 stolen bases, even if he's playing, some first base, but we're going to see him in like a monstrously small sample size here, which is still fun. He's probably the last of the prospects that we're going to see with the timetable. Double A ends in like five days, triple A ends in like I think two weeks or something like that. So this is probably it. How appropriate for the Welsh Wednesday. I think he can be a sneaky good ad, and I think he also is a guy that they don't bring up to just throw him like at eight. They might, but I think you might see him at like six or five in a lineup very early on. And if you're chasing power, I'm in. I'm in. And the low strikeouts kind of speak to points leagues as well. So I'm a, I'm obviously a big fan of uh, Heston Kirstad. I am a big fan of Kirstad too. And, you know, you mentioned how uh, the cut, the strikeout rate he cut down on those this year. I, I didn't even have him in my preseason top 100 because, you know, the myocarditis to kick off his career and – I seemed like there were strikeout concerns. And then he takes this big leap forward as a contact hitter to go with those existing power skills. And so now I have him in my top 25, much sure. less top 100. One of the biggest risers among already good prospects for me this year. Uh, but what, stand, what stands out to me for Heston Kierstad beyond just the improved strikeout rate, you look at his, in, his zone contact rate. It's 89.7% since reaching triple a which is you know compared that to to to, to give you a frame of reference for that some major leaguers with a zone contact rate in that same range Corey seager kyle tucker juan soto what it says is that when heston kirstad swings at a strike he doesn't miss really and that is a sign of a really good hitter uh you know if you have monstrous power you can overcome a low zone zone contact rate and, and kirstad has pretty impressive power on top of it but just in terms of being a pure hitter, he he rates pretty high on that for me too. The reason why I'm less likely to in, invest in him now, you know, there, so that's kind of the long term outlook for Kierstad. But right now, okay, so Ryan Malcastle's going on the IL. Ryan O'Hearn 
is also a left-handed hitter, first baseman, has had a good year, has been good recently. I don't know that Kirstad's going to get all the playing time at first base over Ryan O'Hearn. And, you know, maybe there are times they both play with one at DH. I think they both can play some outfield. But, you know, it's still kind of a crowded situation. And just, like, there's two and a half weeks left. So what's it going – what do I need to see from the Orioles in their handling of Kirstad? And what do I need to see from Kirstad himself that I'm going to actually want to put him in my lineup at any point? And I think I, that's I think, a great point, by the way. I just wanted to add, like, I agree with you on that. Like, I, I don't know of any of these young guys. Like, Lawler was wrong. Mauricio looks right. Like, Pete Crow defensively looks awesome, but he's not hitting. Evan Carter's working out. Like, you know, what, two weeks left. Unless you're put in a situation where you, like, really, really need to depend. You're like, oh, my gosh, I have to get, you know, for a categorical, I've got to get power. Okay. Probably not running to pick up if someone dropped Lawler, I'm not trying to go and pick him up. Even if Mauricio was out there, like I, I don't think you need to be super hyper aggressive with any of these prospects at this point. Like that Pete Crow is I, I would just I would hand up like I would be aggressive with him, though it, it hasn't worked out or manifested into hits or anything like that. Same thing would go mm-hmm. with Heston. Like if you're chasing yeah. power, sure, but probably not something with a week or two left in the year. If, if Kirstad has a first weekend like Jason Dominguez had, then I think that's the scenario. That's the scenario where I can make room for Kirstad in my lineup the final two weeks. But anything yeah, short Can you imagine that, putting out a rookie like that in your championship week? You're like, uh, okay, he had three good games. Now I'm going to put him in <laughs> in my weekly lineup set for the finals in the play. I mean, that's that's a pretty big ask. Yeah, as we've said with the other recent promotions, Evan Carter and Pete Crow Armstrong, it's mostly for deeper leagues. It's also for people who play over at the NFBC because these prospects don't become available until they play their first game in the majors. So, you know, in 15-team leagues... Really, anyone who has a pulse is viable, uh, but especially someone who might have a little bit of upside like some of these prospects at this point. He's 16% rostered, outfield eligible for now, but very quickly could gain some first base eligibility. Again, that's Heston Kierstad. Just give me a quick ranking here. We'll start with Scott. Uh, if you're looking to pick up one of these names, how do you rank Kierstad, Evan Carter, Pete Armstrong? I think I have to go Carter number one. And then... I think I'd go Kierstad over Crow Armstrong. I'm not confident enough in the offensive profile for Crow Armstrong, who still has yet to get a hit, right? Yeah, he does not. I would go with Carter because he is hitting. I would go with Pete Crow. Pete Crow's defense has put him in a position where he can play every single day and they're going to feel comfortable with it. I am very confident about his hitting profile. I mean, I might eat my words. Long term, doesn't mean this year, but it's just I believe in him and I think the defense is going to get him out there where you already kind of laid the stage where I'm not really sure what Heston's going to look like as far as playing time. So Carter, because he's doing it, Pete Crow in pure speculation and Kerstad for, you know, big power chasing. All right. Again, the Orioles promoting Heston Kierstad, the former second overall pick from back in 2020. Let's get into the rest of Wednesday's action. Can you believe it? Wow. Wow, Scott, you're up. Player of the night. My player of the night is Chris Bryant. Remember him? No. Yeah, he's hardly played this year. He's hardly played since first putting on a Rockies uniform, so I don't I don't blame you for forgetting Chris Bryant. But not so long ago, Chris Bryant was not only a fantasy standout, but you know, for a while there he was a first rounder in fantasy. Well, since coming off the IL, he has now homered in back-to-back games. I believe those were his second and third games off the IL. Um, So Wednesday here, he homered. Both of those home runs came at home in Coors Field, which is a great place to hit. It's part of the reason why we've been hoping for a Bryant resurgence the past couple years is because he signed with the Rockies. Um, Next week, the Rockies won't be at Coors Field. They'll be on the road. But the final week of the season... Seven games at home. And so given that Chris Bryant is an outfielder, a position that, you know, a lot of people need, given that he's Chris Bryant and we know what he's capable of based on his track record, given that he's seems to be in midseason form right now, homering in back-to-back games, and given that he has those favorable home matchups in what could be your league's championship week, the final week of the season, I think he is a priority pickup right now. He's available in about a third of CBS Sports Leagues. I imagine even more in Yahoo and ESPN. Um, you know, even if you can't use an outfielder, it wouldn't be a bad defensive pickup if, you know, 
to, to keep your opponent from picking up Brian because there's a chance he could do a lot of damage that final week. I did not realize he was dropped in as many leagues as he was. So, yeah, you're right. 64% rostered for Chris Bryant. He's been playing first base for them, too, so he could gain that eligibility. You could move him around, corner infielder, a utility bat that final week of the season, whatever it might be. And I had this written down just for later on in the show. Chris Bryant is a classic example of a guy who is going to go on just like a super hot stretch here to end the year, and then we'll remember him for next season, right? It'll be just enough to be like, you know, Chris Bryant's in Coors Field. I think we're going to get excited about him again, you know? Something like that. Could happen. I hope it doesn't, because I don't want to draft Chris Bryant anymore. (laughs) I'll probably fall in a little bit. Like, I'll be like, I remember that little thing, Colorado. And, I mean, you can also chalk up the injuries that this guy has been facing over the last two years since he's been there and the lingering possibilities of it and an offseason to recoup. But this is one of those guys that's got to come at, like, big old discount. Like, we we have to make sure it's a whole league of, we like, we all get together and we're like, all right. We're all out on Chris Bryant in the top 150, right? All right, team break. And then then we can kind of decide, like, all right, yeah. 180, 200, it, it, something it, like that. Yeah. He could be next year's Cody Bellinger, right, if, if he goes late enough. Because basically people were out on Bellinger this year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he became Cody Bellinger again. Sure did. Uh, that contract, by the way, the whatever Cody Bellinger gets is going to be very interesting. I'm very excited to see what he gets this offseason, as well as Blake Snell, who we'll talk about in just a little bit. Welsh, you are up your player of the night. Uh, I'm going with another Chris. We're going with Christopher Sanchez in a long line of Chris's. So this is just letting everybody know this is on Frank to continue the Chris's. Will he be able to do so? Christopher Sanchez, he did give up four, but he struck out 10. And the pitching profile has just been really fascinating this year. Um, It's a relatively friendly uh, baseball savant page. If you're looking as far as like high percentiles on chase rates, really, really low walk rate, 4% on the year and expected ERA that sits around the three and a half range. Uh, Ground ball percentage has been up there. There's a lot to like about him. 22% K rate, the highest of his career walk is extremely down the pitching profile as well and how he's able to cover the zone. His changeup covers the entire low half. He can get the slider on the outside. He's got a 30% whiff rate across both of his non-fastball slash sinker pitches, which is really, really great. And he has this really trippy uh, split. And I don't think it's counting today, by the way. It's not that trippy. I mean, it's just we see this plenty of times, but he's got like a one, two, nine. Let me look at what it is, where it went. It's a one, two, nine home ERA this year with a four, zero, seven away ERA. So at home, he's been a great get and he had not given up more than three earned runs since August 5th until tonight and the strikeouts have been there he's low low walk with really kind of low risk and I think he's kind of a good bet and the 10 strikeouts are exciting yes and you just to add to everything you just said there, there there's even some more exciting details from Christopher Sanchez's start here one of them being it came against the Braves a historic uh pitcher wrecking crew of a lineup so i can forgive the four earned runs considering christopher sanchez got a career high 10 strikeouts and went a career high seven and a third inning that's like equivalent to two earned runs versus like an average team exactly (laughs) take away the two run homer from austin riley and there you go Um, the most whiffs of any pitcher today at 21 out whiffing strider 21 and 18 of them came on the changeup, which he threw 49 percent of the time versus the usual 30 percent the velocity on all three of his pitches was up like a mile per hour and a half. Um, so, like, especially given the the given given all those improvements with the pitch selection and the velocity, and that it came against such a awesome lineup. I think it was the second most strikeouts any pitcher had against the Braves this year. Uh, is Chris, if if Christopher Sanchez with his great walk rate, with his ground ball rate that would be second among qualifiers, ahead of Framber Valdez, ahead of Sandy Alcantara, and Bryce Elder, if if he also becomes a strikeout pitcher of any standing, uh, there could be there could be a lot of upside here. He's 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 been very surprising because his minor league track record seemed like you know it was nothing to write home about, and he just seems to keep getting better and better. Now, here's the problem: <laughs> Phillies are talking about piggybacking him the rest of the way, piggybacking him and here. Michael Lorenzen the rest of the way. Get out of here. So was this the last hurrah? Uh, he lines up. So if they do go from six man to five man by piggybacking those two, 
Uh, Christopher Sanchez would line up for two turns next week, one against the Braves again, one against the Mets. But would he be limited to four innings, five in a best-case scenario? He'll probably appear on my my sleeper pitchers list for next week, but he'll probably be pretty low because of that um, piggyback concern. Piggyback though, piggyback with the ratios, you know, if you do get, uh, if you were to even just get two starts in a piggyback form, still might not look too bad, especially if he comes on the back turn of one of those with a potential win. So yeah, it's, it's a lot to pay attention to for sure. And I'm guessing, did you happen to see, are they both on the road or is one, is it at Braves and uh, home against the Mets? It's at Braves home against the Mets. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that home game split is going to look really good on the back end. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, something to be concerned about. I, I still think it was worth going into all that detail about what Sanchez did in this start, just from like a 2024 scouting perspective, because yeah. he, he raised his stock a lot in my eyes with this performance. I keep waiting for his control to get worse, because if you look at before the season, he was not a good control pitcher, but he's at 1.4 walks per nine on the year. And if you look at his last five starts, he has two walks total, two walks over his last five starts. So that control has just been amazing. The changeup has been awesome for Christopher Sanchez. Yeah, I noticed the same things. It's He's 41% roster, but it's kind of hard to figure out the schedule for a lot of pitchers right now, but especially tough here for uh, Christopher Sanchez. My player of the night, I'm going to go with uh, Hunter Brown. Boom, Sorry, there was, there was no Chris's available. I was looking around the rundown. I couldn't find anything. But Hunter Brown and his teammates took a combined no-hitter into the ninth inning of that game against the Oakland A's. Hunter Brown threw five no-hit innings, two walks, seven strikeouts, had 13 swinging strikes on 78 pitches, just leaned all the way into his four-seam fastball in this start. He threw it 69% of the time. But his previous four starts before this, he had a 9.56 ERA and a 2.06 WHIP. So, as great as this performance was, he's my player of the night. Shout out to the Astros. Great game for them. I don't really think I want to do anything with this. The final three starts look like they're. If he makes three starts, it's against the Orioles, at the Mariners, and at the Diamondbacks. So, Scott, great start. Round of mm-hmm. applause, Hunter Brown. But I don't think I'm doing anything for fantasy. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, obviously, Oakland was who he was facing. It was interesting that he threw his fastball 69% of the time, as opposed to the usual 45%. Just seemed like he really wanted to simplify after all those struggles in in recent turns. And same thing happened with Jordan Montgomery, actually. Uh, He threw seven shutout innings at the Blue Jays after three bad starts. He threw his sinker 65% of the time. So... uh, It just seemed like kind of a recalibration for those two struggling pitchers. I think there's more to like about Jordan Montgomery down the stretch, who (laughs) might be the Rangers' ace now that Max Scherzer's done for the year. Brutal. Um, But yeah, Hunter Brown, uh, I'm I'm not counting on him being of much help over the final two weeks. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we will talk about that Max Scherzer injury right after this. Welcome back in, and the big news from the day outside of the Hessen Kierstad promotion, Max Scherzer was placed on the IL with a low-grade strain of the Terrace major muscle muscle in his right shoulder, and he'll likely miss the rest of the regular season as well as the playoffs, assuming the Texas Rangers get there. I think they will. Uh, but his season ends with a 377 ERA and a 1.12 whip across 152 and two-thirds innings. Age looks like it's starting to show up here in a major way for uh, Max Scherzer. The injuries continue to add up as well. Well, not much from a fantasy perspective here, but it does suck for the Rangers who, you know, they invested this year. They were going in. They spent the money. They lose Jacob deGrom. They trade for Max Scherzer. Now they lose Max Scherzer. So overall, from a baseball perspective, it just kind of sucks for them. Oh, it's, it's horrid, and the team has been on like such a downtick. You know, you say we think they're going to. Just want to point out, they are a at least if this has not updated or hazard, I don't know, but it's a half game above Seattle and only a game above um, Toronto right now. So I mean, like the, that loss is absolutely critical. Now it is a three horse race because it's um, 
Boston seven and a half behind. So it is these three teams vying for the two spots. But you know what? I bet they'd love to have Cole Reagans back right now. They could use a pitcher like Cole Reagans that they had traded off. That would probably help making that wrong move. But it has been a disaster pile of, you know, if this were the Rays and young pitchers, we'd be like, oh, what's going on with Texas? And it's like, well, they're just taking just old guys that are breaking down left and right and trying to put their hopes on Evaldi. But yeah, this was my sleeper team of the year. It's a bad look for next year for Max. Um, a lot of these pitchers, I, I talked about this earlier in the week, actually. I don't know what it is, and I'd love to figure out of like a consistency guide to the last two months of the year for pitchers because it's it's the old pitchers, which you could just obviously figure out. They break Their bodies are breaking down, but these like up and down starts seem to be more prevalent in a lot of these old guys. Uh, not just the old guys, like Corbin Burns is actually like my number one example when I was trying to work through this, where you'd have a start where you give up six earned runs and then you go seven and strike out eight. And then you give up five and go five. And then, you know, and, and mm-hmm. what is it? And trying to identify who these players are going into next year, which might not have a long term. I, 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 don't, I don't think there is a common thread. I well, but and I don't know if there is a comment there, but I would love to identify all of them and then just stare at them in the offseason <laughs> because it's probably not going to be like, oh, well, Corbin Burns was this, so now he's off. But maybe it is the difference between him and one other guy making a really tough decision. Maybe it's the difference between Corbin Burns and Zach Gallen, who's also been inconsistent, trying to find out and identify those players that are not just putting up like a bad second half, but are having these starts where you're frustrated and you, you put them out and then they stink and then you you don't put them out and they're good and it yeah. doesn't help anything. And I don't know what that is and I haven't workshopped through it enough, but I just, I know where to go with it. And Max and Verlander were the uh, impetus to this of players that hundred percent exemplified this. And it's not going to be good or in why I'm going to want to invest in them next year. Not only the injuries, but the inconsistencies. Well, my, if, if you do find a common thread, I'd, I'd love to know about it. <laughs> so give me in the loop on that. Yeah, I will. My theory, since it seems to be happening to everybody, is just that when things start going wrong because there are more base runners, because there's more actions on the action on the base paths, when things start going wrong for a pitcher in a start, they just snowball easier than they have in recent years. And so what, you know, a bad outing in the past may have been four or five earned runs and it's turning into like seven, eight earned runs this year. Uh, and everybody seems to be falling victim to it. And it's very frustrating in Roto, especially. I don't, it doesn't bother me as much in points leagues because the 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 damage is isolated to that one week as opposed to affecting your your season stat line. But it's it's been very frustrating. And I think I it explains want, why my Roto teams have by and large done much worse than my head-to-head teams this year. Th- th- there's a part of me that wonders like maybe what I do and maybe if, if you can't find the correlation because you're right like I'm sitting here thinking like well Garrett Cole is someone I feel like that's kind of broken that trend like he's just been relatively consistent but there's not a ton of those guys that we can really pinpoint that maybe the play you know how we do this thing where we're like oh look at all these starting pitchers are injured I'm not taking starting pitching at the back of half uh, at the beginning of the drafts next year maybe the move is going to be leading up into the uh, the all-star break you want to start trading your starting pitchers and you want to start moving off of those high, even if you have high end guys, you want to start moving off of pitchers and prioritizing more depthy type of pitchers and getting positional players to stock that up and moving those players off. If it's, if we're going to look and see like a, a common thread of 65% of top 25 SPs all of a sudden just become wild cards, then why not just move off of them and you know, take your hand at streaming and really watching the wire and picking up the middling pitchers. I know that might not be a so, happy well, answer. To so is your contention but. that it's been more prevalent in the second half? Cause I feel like this has been going on all year. I think so that's, yeah, no, it, that's kind of, that's kind of played into my glob theory at starting pitcher where unless you get, and, and it's unclear exactly how many of their, these there are, I think between a dozen and two dozen, unless you get a true ace or two at the top of your staff, the next 60 starting pitchers or so just like, Okay, maybe you can single out a few upside guys there, but otherwise, like I'm, I'm just not going to care who much. But I'm not talking about like the draft from there. The thirty to sixty guys. I'm talking about like the top twenty-five. Like I, and again, this might be recency. It literally is just an open thought that I haven't sat and dug into. But it feels like the guys that you were really putting the back of your team on have had some really wild swings. I mean, like. Alcantara was that the whole year, so that doesn't really count. But Burns has been wonky, and Verlander and Scherzer, that's not all. The guys, Strider, Gallon, these guys have all kind of come apart. That it's like 
Um, that's fine if you want to make this case for those globby pitchers, but what if you can then go and take, you know, you got all these stats from Strider in the first half. I'm just picking on Strider, best pitcher in baseball. And then you were able to go and get a top flight hitter and then a globby pitcher. And maybe I just want some 30 to 40 guys that are going to also have some inconsistent starts if my aces who can recoup top value are also going to be falling apart in the back half, which could be to age. It could be to uh, the pitch clock, to stealing, to higher offensive numbers. It could be to the shift. It could be a gajillion things that are going on with it. But if we see a case where the top flight pitchers are more inconsistent than in the past, which I might just be making up right now, then maybe trying to find a strategy of being a little bit more aggressive and moving those players might be a way to take advantage of the back half of seasons where it's like Cole Reggins has outperformed Verlander and Scherzer and all these guys. And obviously you have to hit on those players. So again, it's just a bigger thing that maybe people can kind of sit and think about as we are going to move into next year that look at some of the pitchers you're going to be counting on in your playoff run this week and next week. It's probably not what you thought. You thought you'd have your Kershaw and now you're counting on Ryan Pepio. You thought you would have, um, you know, Sandy Alcantara and you're now banking on Jordan Montgomery. It's weird. So sorry I took us in a different direction, Frank, but that's been on my mind with Max specifically. No, I think it's a good conversation point and I know people come here to find out answers, but I don't know that there's an answer right now. I think when we get to the offseason, we really got to dig in and try and see if there's a common thread there, but Right now, it doesn't seem like it because you just rattled off a bunch of some of the best pitchers in baseball. Spencer Strider, even he's been inconsistent. He has a 3.73 ERA on the season, right? So, And I consider him the best pitcher in baseball skills-wise. Okay. So it, it, it has been very frustrating. I just don't know that there is like a rhyme or reason as to why this has happened uh, this season in fantasy baseball. Uh, congrats to the Braves. You're brave, Scotty. They clinched their sixth straight NLEs title and the first team to uh, clinch a playoff berth here in 2023 no surprise they've obviously been a juggernaut all se- all season long and they did it the only way they know how ronald acuna three for five with his 66th stolen base and austin riley two for three with his 35th home run of the year what do we do with these pitchers so i got i got a couple of different categories i got some waiver wire guys i got some you know globby pitchers and we'll run through some of their matchups really quickly here I'm gonna throw a lot of names your way a lot of matchups your way so if you're listening, I don't know, break out the notepad, write everything down. You're dropping all, you're dropping Max Scherzer for all these guys. Just pointing that out. You're dropping probably Clayton Kershaw for all these guys. Just want you all to know that. Let's go. Ryan Pepio. He did struggle with the long ball here against the Padres. He gave up two home runs, gave up four runs over six innings. He had five strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes, more whiffs than we've seen recently from Ryan Pepio. He's 69% rostered, and it looks like his final three starts are against the Tigers, the Giants, and then at the Giants. Next up, we have Mike Clevenger, who turned in another quality start against the Royals. Six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts for him. He had 12 swinging strikes, 60% rostered, and his last three matchups look like they are at the Nats, at the Red Sox, and then home against the Padres. Logan T. Allen, he was okay at the Giants. This is like the Logan Allen line. This is basically what he gives you. Five innings, one run, Eight base runners allowed, five strikeouts. Like He gives you a strikeout per inning, but he doesn't go very deep into his starts. He is 56% rostered his last three, the Royals, the Orioles, and at the Tigers. So the matchups are actually pretty good for him. Scott, we'll start with you. I gave you some names. I gave you some matchups here. Uh, we could throw Christopher Sanchez in this mix, but we don't really know when mm-hmm. or how he's pitching. Uh, how would you rank these four? Pepio, Clevenger, Logan Allen, and Christopher Sanchez. Well, I do want to stress that the the particular time of year that we're in with very little calendar left goes a lot into the order here. I, I am high on Christopher Sanchez's skills for the reasons we already laid out, but he would be fourth on this list just in terms of how usable he is for the rest of the season. Uh, two of these guys were in my most recent column, 15 players to pick up for championship week. One being Ryan Pepio. You mentioned the three great matchups there. Uh, Kansas City and San Francisco next week, and then San Francisco again the final week. So he's number one. Uh, Clevenger was not on that list, but given the way this start against the Royals went, maybe he should have been, because I'm going to put him number two here, his matchups, at least for next week, it being a two-start week. Uh, 
Let's see. I'm not seeing them here in the notes. Did you yeah. have the matchups? It looks for like at Washington Wa- and at Boston for next okay, week. Okay, so one, yeah. one good matchup, one bad matchup. But the point is he's going to be making two. And three of his last four starts now have been nothing short of awesome. Like the strikeouts have been there. He's allowed hardly any hits or walks. The one start that wasn't awesome, he gave up eight earned runs. So like it, it just fits like just what we were talking about with every pitcher having these blow-up starts. Clevenger um, – has one of those mixed into what's otherwise been an awesome stretch. And so hopefully hopefully you get more of the good than bad with him next week, uh, especially with that one matchup against the Nationals. So I'm going to put Clevenger second. And then Allen third. He has pretty good matchups down the stretch, but limited to five innings for the most part. Might give you six and one of those starts against the Royals or the Tigers, but limited upside. He's he's one of the ones I I put in that you know fifteen pickups for championship week. He's one who I said it it doesn't really make sense to pick him up for defensive reasons because I don't see him hurting you that much by by the, your the other team starting him. But if you just really have a needed starting pitcher, Logan Allen could uh, fill it for you admirably. And then that leaves Sanchez fourth. I will point out with Pepio, you mentioned two home runs, four earned runs. Zero walks again. So this guy has gotten the control thing figured out, and that's very exciting. And I think he did a nice job of salvaging the start for giving up four earned runs. Yeah, Ryan Pepio now has just two walks over 27 innings with the Dodgers this season. I was watching that game, and the broadcast mentioned that apparently he changed his arm angle slightly this year, and it's closer to where he was prior to 2022. So last year his control was all over the place, and yeah, changed his arm angle. Ryan Pepio has uh, pitched a lot better this year, specifically when it comes to the control. This next group includes players that I don't think that I could trust, pitchers rather, I don't think I could trust. Hunter Brown was one of them. Welsh, the other one is Kyle Harrison. Um, And outside of that one awesome start, which was great, 11 strikeouts, uh, I think it was six and a third shutout innings, he really hasn't been that good. So he was facing the Guardians here on Wednesday, typically a good matchup for left-handed pitchers. And Kyle Harrison allowed five runs, three of those earned over four innings, uh, only had three strikeouts in this one. His velocity was down a little bit as well. He's now made five starts, and he's got a 518 ERA and a 140 whip. Looks like his last three starts are at the D-backs, at the Dodgers, home against the Dodgers. There's no way. With those matchups, I would be okay dropping Kyle Harrison in redraft leagues for any of the names we just talked about. And Christopher Sanchez that I know got kind of dismissed in this. I would take Sanchez over Kyle Harrison. I think I I still feel like I would do it over the the uh, Hunter Brown situation because I feel like with the, the, the cappy innings not wanting to go deep, like this was like the perfect scenario where he was going to be able he was going to be able to go five and he's been kind of wearing down. So it's like if you're going to get four, if you're going to get four out of any of these guys, Sanchez, Hunter Brown, Kyle Harrison, who would you want right now if you're only going to get four? I would want Chris Sanchez. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, Hunter Brown's on the best team, but I think he's wearing down. So I'll take Sanchez over either one of those guys. Kyle Harrison is the biggest no of no's. He's going to destroy your ratios or he might even give you negative points. Like two games against the Dodgers, no thanks. All right, let's talk about uh, three pitchers that are very firmly in the glob. When we'll kind of go rapid fire here, we'll rattle off each one. Eduardo Rodriguez has really lost his control recently. He gave up uh, five walks in this start against the Reds, and he now has three-plus walks in five of his last nine starts during that stretch of 433 ERA and a 144 whip for Eduardo Rodriguez. Scott, you're first up here. Uh, The final three matchups for Erod at the Dodgers and at the A's, that comes next week. So one great matchup, one really bad one. And then the final, the final matchup looks like it'll be up against the Guardians. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you could have gotten the, the A's and the Guardians in the same week, that would be really interesting. But that's not how it lines up for Eduardo Rodriguez, who I don't think has looked the same since coming back from that finger pulley injury. He was probably overachieving before the injury. That's part of it. I could see starting him at the Dodgers and at the A's in a points league where you're not having to protect the ratios but in a categories league i'd be reluctant to do that jordan montgomery bounced back with a great start at the blue jays seven shutout innings with three strikeouts and that one as scott mentioned earlier just leaned all the way into that sinker he threw it 65 percent in this start he had given up 14 earned runs in his previous three starts so 
it's kind of been an up and down situation here for Jordan Montgomery. Uh, Welsh, his final three matchups. Next week, it's going to be against the Red Sox and the Mariners. And then the final week at the Mariners. Your thoughts on Jordan Montgomery? Mm, I was hoping for a little bit better of a run. I mean, you know, this this most recent kind of blow up, it's actually been more anomaly than anything for Montgomery. This is a second month where he has registered in over six ERA, but the rest have been threes and under, and he's been consistent. I like the idea of him leaning into that sinker. Cause then it, it might be telling to say, Hey, listen, I don't have big strikeout stuff. His actually his strikeout prop today was three and a half. I mean, that's where we're at. Even though he has struck out like four, I think in freaking every start in the last six or seven games, like there's not a, a trust level in that he's able to strike out guys. So leaning into your sinker, just, you know, let your offense and then you, uh, let your defensive carry you and then your offensive pick you up. I would rather him over Eduardo Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez is super inconsistent. And I think Jordan Montgomery has got a little bit more going on. Um, I think he can build this confidence and he's had a better track record uh, over the season of being able to hold this and, uh, you know, ground ball pitcher in general. So I'm going to go with Jordan Montgomery over Eduardo, and I think you can do this, even though it's not like the best matchups. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Montgomery over Rodriguez. Yeah, he's just a much higher floor pitcher. I, I know he's had some blowups recently, but there's not much else out there, right? So I, yeah, I think if you got Jordan Montgomery, you're just kind of rolling with him over those these final two weeks. The last name here is Braxton Garrett. He turned in a great start at the Brewers, six shutout innings with seven strikeouts in this one, and uh, you know it's not always pretty. But Braxton Garrett has allowed three earned runs or fewer in nine straight starts. So there is a level of consistency there. He's got a 367 ERA and a 116 whip. The last three matchups are against the Mets and Brewers next week as a two-star pitcher. And then the final week is at the Pirates. So, uh, Scott, I kind of like it for Braxton Garrett, man. He, I, he's 80% rostered, so he's, you know, he's a little bit too rostered for, like, a waiver wire pitcher. But... I, I do think it's worth pointing out, you know, as much as we're, we, we talk a lot about potential waiver pickups, potential two start options, potential streamer options on this podcast, because it's applicable to the masses, right? Like if we talk about guys who are too rostered, not, there's not much people can do with that. Um, but I, I do think there's a danger in putting so much emphasis on it that people think it's the best thing to do the best thing to do is not have to start anybody you could pick up off waiver wires right off the waiver wire right now and if you're in the championship game it's very likely that you don't have to pick up anybody um braxton garrett based on those matchups next week a two-star week he'll probably be among my 10 sleeper pitchers for week 26 but i'll remind you we talked a bit about him as a two-start option for this current week clearly that didn't happen if that doesn't like, if something happens to push him back next week as well, and he doesn't end up making two starts, well, you're going to probably feel pretty bad about starting him. And so that's another reason to think twice about doing it. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point, and uh, I guess we're just—I am hedging my bet for all of us here on this podcast. Take everything we're saying with schedule analysis and matchups with a bit of a grain of salt because it's just really hard to know right now. We're giving you this information to, to the best of our knowledge, to the best of our ability, but yeah, things kind of go haywire this time of year. Teams might start like manipulating. Uh, there was already a conversation about, you know, the Diamondbacks, if they were to make the playoffs, that Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen would not both not be eligible to start the first game. And it's just like, you know, if that's a play-in game, like teams might really start thinking about what's in front of them, whether they're teams that are out of it that might want to get a look at one guy or do bullpen games. It's the wild, wild west at this point. And I'd also point out one little thing. Scott had me thinking about this with like, you know, the situation of not starting any of these guys. Sometimes I have to think like, what will hurt me more? Um, taking a risk and putting in a guy that screws me or not putting in the guy that I thought I should, and then them being really good on my bench. Like, which one hurts more? At the end of the day, I think for me, it's putting in a guy that just destroys the week, where I feel like I can bounce back off of making just a bad decision on taking a big risk. You'll know when you need to take the risks inside of your championship week or your playoff run. Maybe it's not going to have to be with guys like Braxton Garrett and guys that are early in the week as well. All right, let's quickly hit some news and notes. Shohei Otani has now missed 10 straight games with right oblique discomfort, and I'm just waiting for the notification at this point that you know he'll be shut down. Uh, obviously, it's not great for baseball, but I mean, for his own sake and for the money and the contract he's trying to get this offseason, I, 
I think that probably makes the most sense at this point. Sandy Alcantara played catch on Wednesday, his first time throwing a baseball since he landed on the IL with a right UCL sprain. Joe Musgrove continues to play catch, but has yet to throw off a mound as of Tuesday, given where the Padres are at. I don't know that it makes much sense for uh, Joe Musgrove to return this season as well. Can I say just real quick? Yep. There's a little bit more worry with the Sandy stuff than we just rattled off. I just want to point out, like, we're talking like Tommy John concerns are, are, are looming right now. They're saying there is a tear. They're not telling us the severity of the tear. It could be a partial or a full. But there are rumblings that we might be finding out really soon about something we are all going to hate. I'm going to hate because I traded for him early in the year on the very cheap that this might not just be like, hey, he's throwing the ball and stuff. This might be, hey, he's throwing the ball. Get him under the radar right now. Oh, yeah, this thing is shot. And it might not be a point where it is going to be uh, resting to get there and it might take uh, going under the knife. So I just want to point that out. It might not no, want to cause panic about it, but that is looming right now. Yeah, no, that's that's I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it is it is. You know, this this is, I, I think, a bigger deal even than the Max Scherzer injury, if it does lead to I that. Totally Maybe agree. it won't. I mean, Zach Gallen had a, a UCL sprain a couple years ago and never ended up needing Tommy John surgery for it. But it, w- it shouldn't surprise anybody if we hear soon that Al- Alcantara is going under the knife. The other thing I want to point out with this is, you know, it's not always clear where these when these tears begin. Often inexplicable struggles for a pitcher is a precursor to Tommy John surgery. And I've had a hard time figuring out what exactly is wrong for Sandy Alcantara all year. So this might explain it. Yeah. Like it could be, there could be a silver lining in that. All right. Shane Bieber allowed two runs over three and two thirds innings in his first rehab start at double a on Tuesday. Tristan McKenzie was cleared to begin his rehab assignment at double a on Wednesday night. So, you know, when we're recording this, uh, I haven't checked to see, but I assume Tristan McKenzie made his rehab start. Jazz Chisholm was removed with an apparent leg injury. I think it's a knee that he's dealing with there. Yeah, no, no surprise. <laughs> he's really? always hurt. Uh, Christian Yelich has now missed five straight due to lingering back stiffness. Mark Canna was also out with left wrist soreness. Yandy Diaz was back in the lineup after suffering a testicular contusion on Tuesday night. Ouch. There you go. I got I'm you. proud of you for saying it, Frank. I got you. Scott went on this rampage yesterday. He wants everyone to start talking about testicles. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. I don't know why, <laughs> what, what, why legitimate concerns? news organizations are so squeamish about that. Like, it's just weird. Like, But they're, they're all uncomfortable or they don't want to say the word because I they, get You know, they call it like lower you. body injury or groin injury. And it's like, well, that's not really what it is. Like, it's, it's, it is just a part of the body. Like, you're... Are you? Are we grownups or are we not grownups? Oh, I like that. I like. I like adult Scott. This is Dad Scott. Like, listen, it's the birds and bees. Let me talk to you about testicles. Sometimes I, they get contused, and this is what happens. I 100% am not an adult here, so uh, I'll go with what I said last night. The family jewels or whatever it is. Um, mm. Wilson Contreras was out of the lineup with a right hand contusion. Nolan Gorman was placed in the IL with a grade two right hamstring strain. Byron Buxton was given a cortisone injection in his injured right knee on Sunday, and he's currently dealing with patellar tendonitis. Kenley Jansen was placed on the COVID IL after testing positive for the virus. He'll have to stay uh, away from the team for at least seven days. Chris Martin and John Schreiber are likely to pick up any saves in the meantime. Starling Marte went through a full pregame workout Wednesday and told reporters he's aiming to return before the final week of the season. Well, Thanks, Starling Marte. Uh, Michael Conforto is expected to be activated at some point during the Giants' next series against the Rockies. Bailey Ober could start Friday against the White Sox, as the Twins currently have a TBD listed for that day. And Jose Miranda will undergo surgery on his injured right shoulder on Thursday. Let's take our final break when we return. I do have some quick waiver wire hitters. We'll have a discussion about the battle for the NL Cy Young Award. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back in. Let's run through some waiver wire hitters. No surprise. Nolan Jones continues to hit well. One for six with uh, one for six, one for four with a two run homer. It was his 16th home run of the season. He also has 13 steals. We've talked a lot about him recently. He's 76 percent rostered. The problem, Scott, for next week, the Rockies have those six road games. There's two lefties on the schedule. So if he's still available or if you have him on your team, I, I don't know that Nolan Jones is a must start on the road. But again, for that final week of the season with the seven home games, 
I, I would mm-hmm. want Nolan Jones on my team for that. I, I mean, his his road numbers are almost as good as his home numbers. He's he's had better splits than most Rockies hitters. In a three outfielder league, I might no, not go as far as to call Nolan Jones a must start on the road, but he's startable. And in a five outfielder league, he probably is a must start. And either way, if he's out there, you need to pick him up because I think he's as close to like a must add hitter that exists right now that would be on a wire. So yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I think uh, another hitter in that same vein is Mitch Garver, and we've also talked a lot about him recently. He stayed hot. He went two for five with his 17th home run since the start of August, uh, 36 games. Mitch Garver is batting 315 with 12 homers, 25 RBI. The dude plays every single day. He's 66% rostered. Obviously, you know, catcher eligibility. I moved him up to like fifth or sixth in my catcher rankings rest of season. Welsh, a question that keeps coming up is Sean Murphy. He's had a rough second half. He's not playing every day. It's like basically every other day. Maybe it's even less now that the the Braves have clinched. Would you drop a Sean Murphy at this point for Mitch Garver? I would. I would. I mean, I've been. I think I've been pretty steadfast every time I've come on here and we talk about catchers. I'm pretty fluid with catchers. Give me the hot hand. There's enough guys that are performing at similar levels. And really, the big thing I think that's the most important here is it's like a week and a half to two, or you know, whatever it is, right till the end of the season. If you're playing in Roto, there's not much time left. What is the incentive for the Braves to push Sean Murphy out there? The Rangers are playing Garver every day, and they are fighting tooth and nail up until the end of the season for this. So yes, I really do think you can move that, make that move. You can be fluid with your catcher spot and Garver. Kind of a no-brainer, so knock yourself out. And I mean, obviously, I'm not doing a keeper league, but redraft, sure. Well, I mentioned on the Monday show I'm starting Mitch Garver over JT Real Muto against you, Frank, in, yeah. the, Dynasty, and in, I re- the, in I, the podcast points league. I really wish you you didn't do that, too, because... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad I did. I didn't go as far as to drop JT Real Muto. I might have to next week to clear up a spot. But, you know, a lot of the concern with Garver is injury risk, which is it's hard to worry about this late in the season. And when we say he's been playing every day, 25 of the Rangers' last 26 games. Like, that alone would make a catcher-eligible player a stud. And then the guy we're talking about has a better home run rate for his career than Will Smith. So he's like, you know, the injuries and inconsistent playing time have, have kept him... Um, out of the elite discussion in fantasy, but in, in terms of his skill as a hitter, he is he's absolutely elite and he's healthy and he's getting the playing time now. Let's catch everybody up, by the way. We're facing off in the semifinal of the podcast listeners league, and this is a slugfest right now. I am up three and a half points. Uh, and you had Zach Gallen kind of crap the bed today, but I got players dropping left and right. I got Ryan Mountcastle in the lineup. I got Max mm. Scherzer in the lineup. I got Kenley Jansen in the lineup. So I think this one's going to come down man. to the wire, Scott. There's a one week? Like, it's going to end on Sunday? Yeah, but it uh, was a two-week... This is in week two. Yeah, it was a two-week oh, okay. matchup, yeah. Yeah. So it's super close right now. Uh, we'll see. And I also have a bone to pick with Chris Welsh because uh, we faced each other in the semifinal round of the consolation bracket in the Scott White Dynasty League, the competition for the number one draft pick next year. Mm-hmm. And you had like four dead lineup spots, and I thought I was, it was going to be a cakewalk. And I just had a terrible week, and you, you beat me. So now you are competing with R.J. White for the top pick next year. I can live without the top pick. I really just have to get one of those top three picks. I am competing for the number three pick against Michael Herkham right now, and I'm beating him. But I'm nervous about it because I made a lot of bad pitching decisions. <laughs> didn't didn't start Wald to Chuck started Kyle Wright instead, and uh, I gotta win. Like if if I if I end up having to pick fourth and not get one of Paul Skeens, uh, Dylan Cruz, and uh, Wyatt Longmore. <laughs> 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 Scott Scott does not know this guy's name. I Wyatt love Langford. Langford. I love Wyatt Langford. Like Longmire, I, yes, the cowboy Longmire. It, it sounds like the character from Ozark, but it's not quite that. Uh, um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be upset. I would be upset too. More about that, about getting one of those three players in the dynasty league than I do winning the podcast league championship. Nothing against the podcast. League. I do want to point out just real quick in, in mentioning that um, I love the format of what Scott does in this, where when you're not in the playoffs, you then have to try to win to get the first pick. I think it is a great format. Also want to point out when you say have dead spots, it is not out of not 
caring or paying attention. It is also that there are very strict rules about certain things. I have picked up holding holding on to some players for next year that are important. And like I have Jordan Wicks, who I did not want to bring up and start his clock. So sure. like I had player. So I'm in. I was in a weird spot, but luckily I will get one or two, and I will get um, <laughs> Ryan Longmire, or I'll get uh, <laughs> Dylan Cruz, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan. Uh, what, what was our character name? It was it was Wyatt Langmore, right? The, lo- the then, Langmores, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the player is Wyatt. I don't Langford. know about yeah. And I, I try to like merge the two names. And it, no, I love it. I think it's a better name <laughs> for him. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up here. I had one other hitter I wanted to mention, waiver wire name, Evan Carter. We spoke about him a little bit earlier. He went two for four with a run and an RBI. His first six games with the Rangers here. He's five for 14 with a home run and two steals. And uh, he actually got the start on Wednesday against a lefty in Yusei Kikuchi. So uh, I like that. I like the way it's trending. Evan Carter, 29% rostered. They have six games next week zero lefties on the schedule. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. I think if you're playing a five outfielder league, I'd be looking to pick up Evan Carter for next week. Let's have a quick discussion here about the battle for the National League Cy Young. And as of now, the uh, the betting favorite is Blake Snell. He's followed by Justin Steele. It's actually pretty close between those two. And then there's uh, a huge drop in the betting odds. You get down to Zach Gallen and Spencer Strider. Blake Snell dominated the Dodgers here on Wednesday. Six shutout innings, one hit, one walk, eight strikeouts. He is on a crazy run right now. Three earned runs or fewer in 21 straight starts. That's dating back to May 25th. So that is just a crazy long time. Uh, 243 ERA leads baseball. He also leads baseball with 93 walks. It's, it's like the craziest stat leading baseball in ERA and walks. It's Shout out to him. I mean, he's still getting it done. Uh, Other names here, Justin Steele. We know what he's done this year. He's got a 249 ERA. That's second Ah. in all of baseball. Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider had a great start at the Phillies. Seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts for him. Uh, He leads baseball with 259 strikeouts. The next closest is Kevin Gosman at 217. And then, unfortunately, Zach Gallen. He was hit hard at the Mets here. Five innings, seven runs allowed. Six of those earned. Welsh. If you're handicapping it right now, who you got? The battle for the NL Cy Young. Well, I want everybody to know Scott off air told me that if Justin Steele won the Cy Young, he would shave his head because it's so ridiculous that <laughs> no, he would, grow, would he, ever he, win. He would grow a David Schneider mustache. That's what we're trying to get. I I did not even mention that, that you were totally blindsiding me with this. I, I shared with the Welsh beforehand about the hubbub I caused on Twitter. Yeah. By um, it made me happy. So yeah, with uh, with Cubs fans getting upset at me because they feel like I indirectly slided Justin Steele. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I just I decided I was dying to say that. So I got. I got I'm not. I'm not shaving it. my head or growing any mustache <laughs> or anything. I liken like the that. people that freaked out to the same people that would be like, "Well, a guy can't win the MVP." If they're not in the playoffs, like like people like you get very defensive, like people get very defensive about like specific things and stuff. And it's like Justin Steele's fine. It's a bunch of good pitchers out there. I think it's I think Zach Gallen ended his uh, potential off of this start, even though he went nine before. I think it's too far gone. You've got a almost 300 strikeout pitcher. And I think you've got Blake Snell, and I think that's it. And, you know, Cubs fans could be mad. Justin Steele's been phenomenal. There's no doubt about it, the wins and everything. But the stretch of what Blake Snell has done, all while bucking every um, pitching person that's like, don't throw that change up. And he just continuously throws it. It's 18% of the time, and he gets strikeouts. I think it's going to be... Um, I think it's going to be Blake Snell. Well, you know what? No, I think it's going to be Spencer Strider. I, I want to say, I think the... The, it makes the most sense for it to be Blake Snell because I think he has the best combo of wins to ERA to strikeouts. But I do think if Strider can have three good starts to end out, bring that ERA right at that 3-5 range, close into 300 strikeouts on a Braves team that has just been otherworldly, I think he might edge out Blake Snell, but I understand why Snell is the betting favorite. And I think he makes the most sense, but Strider might be that whole season long, like this is a team that's in the playoff type of move. But I think it is a two-horse race is what my main point is. I'm rooting for Strider, and it, it really has nothing to do with me being a Braves fan. Maybe a tiny no, bit. No, no, no way. Steel, but no way. It's more just, I think he's been... 
I, 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 I certainly from the perspective of fantasy, he's been a much more exciting and helpful pitcher. Like he, he is a Cy Young winner I could feel good about in a year where there's not a lot of those. There's not a lot of candidates on either side. Uh, I think Garrett Cole's a very easy choice in the AL and a deserving choice. I think the NL Strider would be an easy choice if not for that pesky ERA. And so um, I'm hoping he gets it down enough that the voters can overlook it. Can you do yeah. one thing for me, Scott, real quick? Will sure. you just, uh, and we're all going to be quiet. Will you say, uh, I'm Scott White and I approve this message? Just do that real quick. I'm Scott White and I approve this message. How you said. I don't know why I put a question mark after. Uh, yeah. You, how <laughs> you said he's a candidate that like we can believe in. That was the most political <laughs> I've ever seen. Someone has to cut that up now and put like highlights and Scott White talking. And then right at the end, that was, that is a perfect, perfect, perfect video to be made there. Good job on you. And I could say this because I'm not the Braves fan on the podcast, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, Scott. I want Spencer Strider to win it. That's who I'm rooting for. I don't think that's actually going to happen, though. I I think Blake Snell is actually the one that's going to wind up winning the National League Cy Young Award here. A few leftovers. Uh, I did want to mention Luis Castillo, whatever. He's good. He did his thing. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts, yada, yada, yada. You know, I thought about it earlier today. I was like, well, if Garrett Cole didn't exist... Luis Castillo has a pretty good, you know, case for being a Cy Young pitcher as well. But yeah, I think Garrett Cole has pretty much locked it up at this point. Two names in much deeper leagues we didn't get to earlier. They, they probably don't matter, but I just want to mention what they did. Maybe you guys have some thoughts. Maybe you don't. Uh, Drew Rahm, a revenge game at the Baltimore Orioles. He pitches for the Cardinals, in case you don't know. Five and a third shutout innings with seven strikeouts in that one. His velocity was up. Seems like he was pretty pumped up for this start, but the numbers are not good. The minor league numbers are not great either, so don't know that there's much there. And then Joey Lucchese with the Mets. Uh, he threw seven innings, one unearned run, three walks to two strikeouts. He's actually pitched pretty well with the Mets this year, uh, just like on a surface-level basis. There's not many strikeouts. I don't think he's very exciting either. Scott, anything with these two? Drew Rom, Joey Lucchese? I'm just going to say no as late as we are into this podcast. Fair enough. Because probably not. All right, I had a whole segment planned for like hitters that did interesting things today and like a hey real quick question about their 2024 draft status, but guess what? We're out of time. We don't have enough time to do that, so maybe we'll do that in the uh, in the next coming days here. We don't have a very heavy schedule here on Thursday, so we can get a little creative on Friday's podcast. Let's get into the bullpen uh, for the Rays. Pete Fairbanks has been used a lot recently, so he was unavailable in this one. Colin Poche got the first two outs in the ninth inning. With a one-run lead, Robert Stevenson got the final out for his first save of the year. For the Rockies, Tyler Kinley got the final five outs for his third save. Kinley blew a save on Monday. Justin Lawrence got the save on Tuesday. And then, boom, back to Kinley on Wednesday. For the Mariners, Andres Munoz struck out two for his 13th save. For the Pirates, David Bednar gave up an unearned run, but picked up his 34th. For the Cardinals, Ryan Helsley struck out two for his 10th save. And he now has the last three saves in a row for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's 58% rostered if you're looking for saves or a reliever in a points league at this point in the season. For the Reds, Alexis Diaz struck out two for his 36th save. For the Braves, Rysel Iglesias was unavailable. Kirby Yates picked up his fifth save. And for the Marlins, Tanner Scott struck out one for his eighth save. He's 54% rostered. Well, who would you rather have, Ryan Helsley or Tanner Scott? Ooh, I would go with Ryan Helsley, but I I could be swayed either way, but I'll go with Helsley. All right. I'm going Scott. Does that sway you? Battle. Battle of... Okay, there you go. There's the bet. Shaved head, whoever has the least saves. (laughs) How about... um, No cub? Whoever loses has to be called Scott for the day. Ooh, okay. Tanner Scott. And we both called, we both had Chris's earlier today too. So how about the other person has to be the other name? No, you'll be, you'll be Chris no. White, and I'll be Scott Welsh. No, I, th- I think the I think, I think this is a pretty good, good idea. That's definitely no. not going to be confusing for me hosting this podcast. <laughs> uh, let's get it. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream on Thursday. Some names that stand out here: Kent Maeda at the White Sox. We have Josiah Gray at the Pirates. Reese Olson versus the Reds. Michael King at the Red Sox, Clark Schmidt at the Red Sox, Tanner Houck versus the Yankees. I don't know. Yeah, we didn't like this yesterday when we looked through it 
and uh, I don't like it anymore today. <laughs> I, I think I think Michael King just based on the way he's pitched recently, and and the fact he hasn't lost any velocity, being stretched out over uh, a starter's workload is is I think notable, and speaks well of his future in that role. Uh, not thrilled with it, but he would be if you have to pick somebody to stream on Thursday. I would pick Michael King. I know that Kenta Maeda has not pitched well recently at the White Sox. I don't know. I, I could be talked into it, but yeah. Me too. I, I was I was kind of like peeking around at that one. I like to pick on White Sox, I guess, at this time of year. Um, I, I could do it if I was chasing, you know, maybe your ratios are a little bit in question or something like that. Or you're just trying to pick up points. I could, I could go with Kenta Maeda. All right. And then on Friday, not too many names here, but we've got Griffin Canning against the Tigers, Wade Miley against the Nationals, uh, Johan Oviedo against the Yankees. I don't think I don't mind canning. I don't think canning. we could do Brandon Fott against the Cubs. No, I would I would skip Thursday to get canning now, so I have him for Friday uh, for sure. Yeah, I know the Nationals are pretty good against lefties, but you know Wade Miley is fine. I, I much prefer uh, Griffin Canning and maybe even Maeda over him as well, but. Uh, yeah, just a few names there uh, for to stream or not to stream. We're going to wrap there for the Welsh and Scotty Dubs. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.